Good morning. It's 8.30 on Friday, April 7th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, supporters of reforms in Mississippi's criminal justice system are optimistic the governor will approve a new bill. Details from one of its authors. And a new advisory board will give citizens a voice on police issues in a city still healing after a deadly officer-involved shooting. It's to establish some communications throughout the city that we may have not had in the past and to make sure that people feel that the department is being transparent and that we're here to work with all citizens. Plus, hear how you can spot Jupiter in the night sky and what scientists are learning about the planet's many moons. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. A bill that makes strides toward criminal justice reform is on the governor's desk. House Bill 1033 would allow judges to arrange payment plans or work details for people to pay off debts. The lengthy report includes changes that would end the practice of jailing Mississippians who can't pay misdemeanor fines, including the creation of a sentencing disparity task force. State Representative Andy Gibson tells MPB's Desiree Frazier the bill received bipartisan support. Well, the goal is, as the short title states, uh, reentry. What we recognize is that every uh, offender who's been convicted of a sentence and they've uh, served their time in prison, they are eventually going to be coming back into society somewhere, somehow. And the goal of this bill is to make sure that they come back in a way that uh, they can become gainfully employed, provide for their families, and thus not fall back into a life of crime. And uh, that, that's good for everybody. What are some examples of that? Uh, really, the key features of the bill are, for example, an inmate who is out on pro- parole or probation and gainfully employed, this bill would allow for them to conduct their parole or probation check-ins with modern technology by Facebook or Skype uh, and check in with their uh, parole or probation officer at a time when they're at work. So they don't have to leave work, take off work, or lose their job to, to go make a parole or probation check-in. That's good because it makes sure that they don't miss work, and, uh, and it also saves taxpayer dollars. Another example is we are uh, reinstituting in this bill the joint state-county work program, which had been terminated uh, a couple of years back, and and the bill provides that at the request of any county for eligible inmates, that the county can receive those state inmates, have them in, uh, become uh, productive doing work in the county, in the cities, and uh, learn some skills in the process. And with respect to parole eligibility, the bill basically creates the, the same standards for parole that it already exists for people who were convicted after July 1, 2014, under House Bill 585. The same standards would apply to those who were convicted from 1995 to 2014. One thing that we missed in passing 585 was there are people in prison right now who committed the same crimes that, that today would be parole eligible but were not under the law from 1995 to 2014. And this just creates a fairness, frankly, a a justice measure to allow those folks to be considered for parole. It does talk about a task force as well. 
Yes, an important part of this bill is the uh, Sentencing Disparity Task Force. We, we have seen, in recent examples, serious, very serious crimes in some jurisdictions basically getting a slap on the wrist. And uh, I saw one that got anger management sentence that uh, had committed murder. And at the same time, that, that same offense in another jurisdiction would, would obviously uh, reap a much uh, more severe sentence. And at the same time, you have some districts where sentences are being imposed that are always just throwing the book at people, giving the max. For the same crime in another jurisdiction, it might be five years, whereas the more harsh districts are sentencing folks to 30 years for the same crime. So we've identified this through data at the Department of Corrections. And what this task force is going to do is take a look and see what's going on. Why, why are there these outliers that are either giving serious crimes a slap on the wrist or what might be more moderate or lesser infractions that are giving them, you know, 30 years or much, much harsher sentences than, than most jurisdictions. We want to look at that, find out what's going on, and see what we in the legislature can do to bring a more uniform sentencing uh, across the state. It seems to have bipartisan support. Yeah, this bill, uh, I think, may be the only bill I've ever handled that had the support of uh, conservative Republicans, Republicans that were interested in making the most efficient use of taxpayer dollars, keeping government small, at the same time as you had uh, libertarian-type support, you had Black Caucus support, Democratic support. So really, uh, every facet of the state of Mississippi got behind this bill and, and sees it as a good, a good measure. Because when, when, when inmates come back into society as productive citizens, they're far less apt to get back into crime, commit more crimes. And at the same time, it's... Uh, it's a way to fight poverty because then they're able to provide for their families and children that are not being cared for right now. It'll allow us to build that work ethic among the inmate population. And then the savings that can be had from this bill through some of the parole changes, the savings can be reinvested into reentry programs that will actually train former inmates with skills, marketable skills they can take back in the community. And there had been a problem across the state with just some cities or counties just throwing those folks in jail when they couldn't pay a fine without regard to whether they had the money to pay it or not. This bill requires the judge to look at them to make sure that it wasn't that they just couldn't pay it, but they had the money to pay it and wouldn't pay it, just didn't have the money. You can't put somebody in jail for that. They can put them on a payment plan or allow them to work it off some other way. But uh, we want to do away with what's known as debtor's prisons. But I told somebody the other day, you put somebody who owes a debt in prison, and you're never going to get that debt paid. So it doesn't do anybody any good. And that's that's a really important feature that had bipartisan support. Well, Representative Gibson, we appreciate you taking the time to lay out some of the facts about this bill. Thank you very much. Andy Gibson, chairman of the House Judiciary Committee with our Desiree Frazier. A spokesperson for Governor Phil Bryant says he'll review the bill and make a decision. Coming up, a police advisory board will now provide an avenue for citizen input at the Tupelo Police Department. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts of your favorite MPB Think Radio programs are available now. With any podcast app, you can search, subscribe, and never miss a second of MPB Think Radio.
Hi, I'm Dr. Michelle Owens. I'm Dr. Allie Brown. Join us on Southern Remedy for Women on MPB Think Radio, where we talk about issues related to health from a woman's perspective. Listen to us on Southern Remedy for Women on Fridays on MPB from 11 to 12. You don't have to be a woman to call in. So we'd love to hear from you. It's the show for women and the people who love them. Listen to us this morning. We'll be taking your calls to answer all your health questions. It's Southern Remedy for Women. This morning at 11 on MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. The city of Tupelo will now have a police advisory board to provide input from citizens on police matters. This week, the Tupelo City Council voted 5-1 to to create the board. The move comes after a city police officer involved shooting that resulted in the death of an unarmed black man last summer. A grand jury did not indict Officer Tyler Cook in the incident. Ronnie Shumpert's family is pursuing a federal lawsuit on the matter. Don Lewis is Tupelo's chief operations officer. He tells MPB's Mark Rigsby the intended role of the police advisory board. Well, the police advisory board is there to be a uh, a help to the police department. It's to establish some communications throughout the city that we may have not had in the past and to make sure that people feel that the department is being transparent and that we're here to work with all citizens. Tell me, who will select this board? There will be recommendations made by each of the council members, so that will be uh, seven of the recommendations, and the mayor will have two at-large appointments. Generally, they would come from the ward that the councilman is in, but it's not restricted to that, but that's usually how it works. What does the city hope to get out of this board? Well, as I, I said there, uh, the transparency, the openness, communication, um, it's going to help us get the word out to more members in the community, more citizens. You've got nine board members that will be there and other people that will be there, and they will get to listen and hear exactly what's going on in the police department. So these meetings will be monthly? They will be monthly, uh, date to be decided. And what type of responsibilities and powers will the board have? That's the one thing we want to clear up. This is not an oversight board. This is an advisory board. So the powers as such are limited to listening and making recommendations that can or do not have to be enforced by the chief. They're there to listen and give a, a citizen's outlook of how things are coming across. Why not decide to give the board more power? The reason why uh, we decided on an advisory, right now the law does not allow for any oversight of an outside group to overview or oversee the police department. How much of the decision to create the advisory board was in the aftermath of what happened with the officer-involved shooting, Officer Cook and the victim, uh, Ronnie Shumpert? Well, that's a great question. When we first set this up, when the mayor uh, set up the six work groups to review different requests that were going on, that was one of the ideas that came out of it. And then after having the work group, which was made up of citizens throughout the community, the recommendation came forward. 
So initially, the first look at it, the work groups decided that that was they thought it would be something that would be good for the city. We took it from there and went to the city council. The police department was all involved in the process. So initially, you could say that uh, the requests from uh, outside groups to look at establishing it were strong, but the final recommendation came from the board to push forward and the council felt comfortable in that recommendation. So are you saying that the Shumpert shooting may have been the momentum to push the ball over the goal line to get the board established? Well, I think the shooting brought forward some concerns in the community and they decided to speak out about it. Now, again, there the areas that we looked at was not only the police, but neighborhood associations trying to communicate better with the public. So the community brought forward their concerns, and the shooting probably helped push them forward in bringing their concerns. But these were concerns that were already in the community. We are continuing to evolve with uh, how we deal with the public. The way of working with our citizens is changing, and we want to adapt. We want to figure out how to serve everybody. Finally, Don, when will the first board meeting take place? I have sent out the request to the councilmen to uh, send their recommendations for the board members. Once we get those board members' names, they will be reviewed. Background checks will be done. And then we will bring all of the names forward to the council at one time for final approval. And at that point, we will set a date. Don Lewis, Chief Operation Officer for the City of Tupelo. Thanks for joining us on the program today. We do appreciate your time. Thank you, Mark. Attorney Carlos Moore represents the family of Ronnie Shumpert, who was killed by a Tupelo police officer 10 months ago. He tells MPB's Mark Rigsby he supports the new board and hopes to see it gain more power. Well, the family is pleased uh, that the city has taken this measure. Uh, That is a step in the right direction. Uh, It is the police advisory board would not have all the powers that we would have preferred, but it is a step in the right direction. And hopefully um, uh, the ordinance will strengthen the powers of the police advisory board and that it will get subpoena power one day uh, and have uh, a really uh, vital role. But uh, it's a start uh, or a step in the right direction, so we're pleased. It's been, what, around one year since the the shooting of of Ronnie Shumpert? Uh, Nearly one year he uh, was shot uh, the day before Father's Day, so we're approaching Father's Day in two months, so uh, 10 months to a year, yes. Why do you think it's been this long until the city of Tupelo created this board? I don't know. Uh, I believe initially uh, Tupelo may have uh, thought the family would go away silently, um, but the, the family and the public, especially the black community in Tupelo, um, uh, they are united, and they are not going to let the memory of Ronnie uh, Shumpert die. Uh, there has been something planned almost uh, nearly every month since his death by the family or friends of the family, and we're continuing to pursue the federal lawsuit and uh, put the pressure on the city of Tupelo. So uh, I believe they finally saw the light that they need to do something uh, uh and, and not let this opportunity to pass because uh, something went awry on that uh, fateful evening and um, measures have to be taken to um, try to prevent this from happening in the future. Can you give us an update on the case? Uh, we are set for trial in Aberdeen in December of this year. Uh, we are gearing up depositions. We are taking the deposition of Tyler Cook 
and some city officials on April the 24th of this month. So we still have a lot of discovery to do. Uh, a lot of key key moments um, in the case are, are coming soon, and uh, we're looking forward to going forward and getting justice for the family. The story on the city's part was that um, Mr. Shumpert attacked Officer Cook, and that's why there was a shooting. But you don't think it happened that way, do you? I do not. Both sides will be taking depositions, uh, and we also have a deadline to designate our experts. So my expert reports will be share it with the other side in May, and the other side has to share their expert reports uh, with me uh, in June. So those are going to be some key dates, and um, this uh, case will likely come down to the uh, the expert opinions. What's the monetary value and damages that you're seeking in this lawsuit on behalf of the family? You know, Mr. Schumpert's uh, life is priceless, um, but we have demanded, uh, I believe, $35 million dollars. Uh, he left five um, five heirs, and we believe that uh, $7 million per heir would be uh, sufficient, uh, even though it won't bring back his life. And finally, let me ask you, how's the family doing? They're continuing to take it day by day. Uh, the children still want to know. Uh, the younger kids, when the father's coming home, and the mother, the wife, the widow, still, um, still grieving, trying to um, uh, really process everything. Still can't believe her husband is gone. I'm gone at 37 just for running from a traffic stop. Attorney Carlos Moore, thanks for being on the program today with us. We do appreciate your time. Thank you, Mark. The Shumpert case will go to trial at the end of the year. Coming up, get ready for a great view of Jupiter this weekend. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On this week in 1970, Fred Hayes of Biloxi became the first Mississippian in space. Hayes was the lunar module pilot on the ill-fated Apollo 13 mission. After an explosion damaged their spacecraft, Hayes and his fellow astronauts worked with NASA engineers on the ground to return to Earth safely. Hayes went on to serve in the space shuttle program and later became a vice president of Grumman Aerospace. The next Mississippian in space was Richard Truly of Fayette, who commanded two space shuttle missions and later became the first astronaut to head NASA. Donald Peterson of Winona was the third Mississippian in space, serving on a space shuttle mission in 1983. He spent more than four hours working outside the shuttle with nothing but his suit and helmet between him and the vastness of space. This has been Mississippi, a thread through time. Mississippi edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Jupiter, the largest planet in our solar system, will be shining the biggest and brightest of the year for the next few days. Tomorrow, April 8th, the giant planet will reach its closest approach to the Earth. Jupiter and its many moons form a fascinating mini-solar system. Scientists from the Hubble Space Telescope say now's the best time to go outside and look up. It will be up all night long and appear as a very bright star. Dr. Michelle Thaler is the NASA Deputy Director for Science communication. She tells us there could be life on one of the moons. 
tonight is actually a great night to look at Jupiter, even with your naked eye. Jupiter is at its closest approach to the Earth for the entire rest of the year. That's actually being called an opposition. So if you go outside at sunset, you'll actually see Jupiter on the opposite side of the sky from the sun, rising in the east. So look for the brightest thing you see in the east. It's actually in the constellation Virgo. It'll rise at sunset, and it'll be up all night long. Is it a different color? Well, to me, Jupiter in the sky looks more kind of yellow-colored than most of the stars do. It's also significantly brighter than any of the stars in the area. And you know, even if you have a good pair of binoculars or a small telescope, you can see that it's a disk. It's actually not a little point of light like a star. You can even see some of the cloud bands on Jupiter. And the thing that I really love is, is seriously, even with a pair of binoculars, you see these four little points of light around Jupiter, and those are four of its largest moons. How many moons does Jupiter have? I was about to say, yeah, Jupiter has over 60 moons. 60? 60? 60, 60. (laughs) But the, uh, the incredible thing is that there are four of them that are so big that they're, they're sort of fascinating worlds all by themselves. And uh, one of them especially that you can see tonight in a you know, small pair of binoculars, Europa, is a place where there's even a chance of an environment that could be suitable to life. So if you look up through your binoculars, you could be looking at a place where life exists outside the Earth, and I love that. Now, you said uh, sunset tonight. You're talking to Mississippians, so is it the same in Mississippi in the central time zone about looking uh, the opposite from where the sun is going down? Well, that, you know, that's the wonderful thing is that the sunset is not really dependent on time zone. So whenever the sun sets, Jupiter will be rising wherever you are at any locality, and it'll be up all the rest of the night. So it'll, it'll be up all the way until sunrise. So, and, and that's what the term opposition means. It means it's on the opposite part of the sky than the sun. So go out at sunset wherever you are, and you'll see Jupiter rising in the east. As it rises in the overnight hours, how high up in the sky will it get? Well, it, it, it will get pretty high in the sky. It won't be absolutely on the zenith itself, but uh, around about midnight, if, if, you, if you look straight up, you know, that will be the brightest thing in, in sort of the overhead region of the sky. If you were to look through a telescope, would you see the stripes on Jupiter? Yes, I've seen that even with a relatively small telescope. So, you know, if, if you have a small telescope, you'll see Jupiter as a disk, and you'll see these stripes, which are actually the jet streams of Jupiter. Uh, the, the jet streams are incredible. They, they actually blow at about 400 miles an hour. <laughs> so you'll be looking at these stripes across the planet that are these sort of jet streams on steroids. Uh, that's about all the detail you can see with a small telescope. But that's uh, pretty but, cool. <laughs> and I, I think that's really cool. And like I said, you know, you, you also see these little you know, pinpricks of light, which are the moons. And one of those moons, Io, has about 200 active volcanoes on it. It's the most volcanically active thing we know of. And then you have this place that has oceans. So, I mean, I mean, it's an incredible thing to actually be looking at with your naked eye. How long would it take for man to get to Jupiter? Well, I guess it all depends on how fast your rocket is. <laughs> so, you know, we, we actually have a spacecraft orbiting Jupiter right now. It's called the Juno spacecraft. It arrived uh, last July 4th. It took Juno uh, about five years to get out there. Of course, the, uh, the problem is that Jupiter has such intense radiation that you really couldn't send people out there. It, 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 you wouldn't survive very long. The radiation would kill you very quickly. How does that largest moon compare to the size of our moon? The one that I mentioned, Europa, with the oceans underneath a shell of ice, Europa is almost exactly the size of our moon. So they're very different places. Our moon doesn't have any oceans. Amazingly, Europa does, but they're about the same size.
What about the size of Earth compared to Jupiter? So this is the incredible thing. Jupiter is really, really big compared to the Earth. And you couldn't stand on Jupiter. There's no solid surface. We call them gas giant planets. They basically have thousands of miles of clouds. And then they become mostly liquid inside. But you could fit a thousand Earths inside Jupiter. It's kind of mind-blowing. That is big. Jupiter itself is, is actually very close in composition to the sun. Same type of stuff. The sun is made of hydrogen and helium, a bunch of other little chemicals. So in, in some ways, Jupiter composition-wise is almost more like a star, but it's not hot enough to be shining like a star. We know a lot about Jupiter, it sounds like, even though it's pretty far away. Well, tonight it'll be about 415 million miles away. <laughs> so that, that's, just, that's as close as it gets. Just a hop, skip, and a jump. <laughs> that's right. Next door. Well, that's wonderful news again tonight at sunset you can start to see jupiter and we've been speaking with dr michelle thaller she is the nasa deputy director for science communication thank you dr thaller hey great thank you again the best time to see jupiter will will be tonight starting at sunset stay tuned to mpb think radio for a full slate of mississippi-based programs all morning long Coming up at 9 o'clock, it's the Gestalt Gardener. Then at 10, Next Stop Mississippi. And at 11 o'clock, stay tuned for Southern Remedy for Women. If you missed part of the show today, you can find past episodes of this and other Think Radio programs online at mpbonline.org or by downloading the MPB Public Media app from the Apple or Google Play stores. I'm Karen Brown. Have a great weekend and join us again Monday morning at 830 for the next Mississippi edition only on MPB Think Radio. We'll be right back. 